2: Hey everybody, this is the Sixers Sense Podcast, I'm Uriah here with Chris, rough night for Sixers fans, although the Eagles are 10-1, and 1. something to be happy about. How you doing Chris? Um,
0: I'm doing pretty good, all things considered, how are you?
2: I got my Christmas tree up.
0: Us too, us too, we did it over the weekend.
2: Are about you a real tree guy or is your family artificial?
0: Yeah, real tree.
2: Yeah, what are what are the advantages and disadvantages, in your opinion, of a real tree? Before we get into it, the-
0: um, I mean, I'm not that involved in the decision making, to be quite frank with you, but I, I I can certainly see the pros and cons. Well,
2: what do you like? like?
0: A real you- tree you can say is real, but it also makes quite a mess and requires a more effort to maintain so if you're a lazy person you should probably go for the artificial if you <laughs> need something to do with your free time maybe go for the real tree
2: save a lot of money over over a time period if you know you That's buy true. one artificial tree look the moment they started putting lights into the artificial trees where you don't have to wrap the lights that I, I was sold on that I was sold on that but yeah, yeah. but anyway but
0: anyway yeah Probably the way to go honestly but uh let, let's talk about the the sixers now not not their best night of late they've been on a bit of a hot streak lately so naturally that had to come to an end at some point and the end was tonight Cleveland blew them out of the water pretty much from start to finish in this one Uriah 113 85 was the final score. The of the game is pretty simple. Cleveland shot 60.8% from the field. Philly shot 416 Wow. Cleveland shot 51.7% from three. Sixers hit 23.1% of their threes. And those numbers were, frankly, not even that indicative of what actually happened. I think the shooting margin was like 74% to 35% at one point. Like, like garbage time kind of skewed things back in Philly's favor a little bit. It, you know, you're not going to see a shooting disparity that big very often. Uh, Cleveland just did not miss very often in this game. Again, like six out of every ten shots, far more than half their shots were makes in this game, and far less than half of Philly shots were makes. Uh, so, what what were your main takeaways here, Uriah? We'll start with the front court. What, what did you think of these players?
2: Yeah, I think that Embiid. Coming off of that Atlanta game, it seemed like he was trying to get his teammates involved. He made a really nice backdoor pass to Furkan Korkmaz in the, in the first quarter. Embiid uh, got frustrated and and he took it out on Robin Lopez, who's I don't know. I don't see how he's still on, still in the league. But Embiid, you know, he was doing all he could with the time he had in the first half. I think Harris was quiet. All night, he had some nice dishes down low to your boy Paul Reed. Uh, Really nice game for Paul Reed uh, until Cleveland just took off, and at that point, it was kind of pointless to put him back in, although he did get minutes in the second half. Tucker made a couple threes, uh, was active on defense. The first quarter, Chris, was pretty competitive. Uh, In the beginning of the game, the Cavs were really cold. And then the Sixers, you know, they gave back the lead and it was a couple runs. But I think overall, the front court, um, they did the best they could. And defensively, they couldn't stop anything because they, Cleveland just was making every shot from everywhere on the court. So I think the, the front court did the best they could, but this just was not their night.
0: Yeah. Well put. Um, 19.6 of 16 shooting from Joel. Not his best night. He was pretty easily the Sixers' best player, of course, because he, he almost always is. But not a lot of people had it going tonight. Joel didn't really have it going. He was pretty poor on defense by his recent standards. Philly has been one of the best defensive teams in the league lately. And not tonight. <laughs> um...
2: Story. Oh, got some background noise. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um,
0: <laughs> live stream, guys, it, it happens. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, like, the defense was an issue tonight. Joel was part of the issue. I'm, I'm not too worried about it long term because obviously he's a tremendous defender and he'll probably get back to form pretty quickly. Um, and, like you said, Tobias, 07, three points. Not his best night, but um, uh, no, no uh, yeah, Paul Reed was really good in the first half, ended up with nine points on, on four, four shooting, one of the very few bright spots in this game, which is, is something I'm always happy to point out. But you know, not a fun game to watch. You, like you said, it was an I think Philly really got out to a nine two lead to start the game. And things were looking pretty good. And then from that point forward it was pretty much all Cleveland. And by the third quarter I was I was getting ready to uh <laughs> occupy my time somewhere else.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, not ideal. Let's let's talk about the guards now, Uriah. What did you take away from that group?
2: Well, other than Shake Melton, who had fourteen points, and Melton who you know, he's one for four from three had nine points. I don't, nobody else really stepped up on, on the guard since. Furkan reverted back to old Furkan. And as far as uh, Thibel is concerned, he hit that 1-3, and then he disappeared for the rest of the game, although he was a plus four when he was on the court. Look, when uh, Harden and and Maxi ha- have been gone this long, I mean, you do start to miss their production offensively. And I think Shake, as great as he's been, now that Embiid is back and he's going to feast more and, and get more shots within the offense, Shake is going to have to figure out where he can score in, at certain points of the game. So, so I thought the the Sixers guards were less than what they needed to be tonight. But overall, I, th- I think Shake had a decent game. Everyone else was just it's like that. Ah.
0: Yeah, um, I'm I'm on the same page as you. 14 points, 50% shooting for Shake. nothing terrible. Obviously, it's, you know, a pretty steep downturn from his recent performances, but you could argue that his recent performances have been, you know, somewhat of a... not a fluke necessarily, but not not where we can expect him every night, I'll say. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he was six years old... Also, like a minus 30 with Shake on the floor, which was the worst number on the team. So it, it just, those oh, units wow. where, it was, where it was Shake running the show instead of Joel were, were not very good. Um, yeah, I mean, again, just not a lot of huge positives in this game. Like you said, Matisse hit 1 3 and then was was pretty bad the rest of the oh, way. For Gone, wow. not very inspiring stuff out of him. Melton struggled a little bit with his shot of late. Nothing I'm too worried about. But, again, he's really not a guy you can consistently rely on to create a bunch of offense for himself. That's not really his game. So he's going to have these lower shooting percentages when Tyrese and James aren't setting him up. Um, And, yeah, I I mean, like you said, in general, going back to your point about Joel earlier, and I think it was really a symptom for the whole team, they just looked kind of hesitant. On offense in this one, a lot of forcing passes instead of looking to score, and I'm not really sure why that was. Um, and you can credit Cleveland's defense to some extent. Clearly, they played good defense in this game, but um, it was it was a bit of a weird night. I, I think maybe they're searching for some rhythm again with with this particular group of players. Obviously shaken. Being, being the lead ball handler with Joel has not been a common theme over the years, so maybe that cut out to them a bit in this game. Cleveland is a much better defensive team than Atlanta, but yeah, I, I mean, in the end of the day, right, we can pretty much chalk this one up to Cleveland just shooting the lights out and Philly having an off night. I, I think it's pretty simple. It's nothing I'm personally panicking about, Um. But for you, Uriah, is there is there anything good we can take away from this game? Are there any bright spots that you want to point out from a pretty depressing loss?
2: <laughs> I think one of the things that stood out was uh, looking at, well, there was one point where the Sixers, I think they had under 10 turnovers, and then I guess when the, the subs came in in the fourth quarter, they started just flipping the ball around. But the Sixers... They did take a pretty good care of the ball for the majority of the game. And the one thing that I'm really really enjoying is seeing Shake Milton get to a level of confidence where it's like a tipping point for him where once he hits that that level, the game will just slow down for him and he's starting to make better decisions with the basketball. Once he turns that corner and he gets in the lane, he has this the scoop shot that is really difficult for a defender to reach because Shake has really long arms. And he's really, he has a really good handle of the ball, good control. So whether it's left or right, he turns that corner and he's going to get to the rim and he's going to score. Uh, PJ, we talked about it earlier. He hit some, some shots. It was nice to see him do that. And I really like what I see from Reed. It seems like every game he appears to be much more aware of where his body is in reference to the basket. He's uh, sealing guys off underneath the rim. And it gave Tobias an opportunity to feed him down low multiple times in the second quarter. And he got the ball went up and got several easy layups. So seeing that from Paul Reed, it's really impressive. It's funny in the second half, uh, Harrow had the ball (laughs) same, same exact situation as Tobias in the first half. And Reed was trying to seal off and get position, and my Trez got ticked off at him and like kind of yelled at him, like, "Okay, like he's just probably doing what he's told, and he's you know barking at Paul Reed, but maybe that's like a competitive for minutes thing." But what about you? Is any any anything good to take away from this horrible loss?
0: yeah um a lot of the same notes for me i I think Paul Reed's the big one like you said he just looks much more comfortable offensively within his role he's he's really leaning into that like role man um, skill set and once James gets back that's gonna help him coexist with James quite a bit he's rolling to the rim finishing making easy shots not as much like wild spinning dribbles in the middle of the court which are Fun every now and then, but not always the best use of his time on offense. So it's really good to see. Again, 9 points, 4-4 in 14 minutes. Got 5 rebounds out of block. like Just sustained really excellent play from Paul Reed lately. It looks like he has locked up the backup center minutes, which is wonderful. Um, and another pretty decent and fun... Daniel House game and you know he's been playing pretty well lately after a slow start of the season only seven points but hit three of his four shots had some nice moments. Um, and yeah, PJ Tucker hit two threes, which is nice to see after his recent struggles. Like we said on the last podcast, he's kind of due f- to come around in that respect and start hitting some shots. So hopefully this is the start of a more prolonged hot streak for him. Like that, that's the hope at least, uh, but. You know, two of four. He's confidently taking those corner jumpers still, which he should. That's been his specialty his entire career. And I would imagine that they start falling consistently at some point. So yeah, it's yeah. it's
2: funny. I I kind of forgot what it, it looked like for him to make a basket. I know it sounds odd, but he has a he doesn't have a lot of arc on his shot, which for some guys in the NBA works no problem. But then you look at a guy like Niang, who gets a lot more arc on his shot. Uh, he didn't have a particularly good game tonight, but but yeah, I, I just forgot what it looked like for him to, to score.
0: Yeah, it, it's been few and far between lately. Um, so what do we think about this Cavs team, Uriah? Let's finish it out talking about Cleveland a bit. They are now going to be two games ahead of Philly in the standings after this one. They obviously started the season winning eight of their first nine. They've cooled off a little bit lately, dealt with some injuries, mainly to Jared Allen, but clearly, they are capable of putting together some pretty impressive two way games. Um, what are your thoughts about that team?
2: Look, that's why the Sixers lost tonight, because Jared Allen did not play. And whenever he plays against the Sixers, Embiid owns him and therefore owns the Cavs. But no, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, Cleveland, they were like the Utah Jazz of the East, and they started to cool off. But anytime you have Donovan Mitchell on your team and Darius Garland, you have a shot every single night. I would argue they have one of the top three backcourts in the entire league. I, I tell you what's weird to me about the Cavs. And it's just – I guess it's a Cavs thing. I've never seen another team do this. But every time they got a defensive three-second violation, they're, like, <laughs> clapping their hands. I'm thinking – the first time it happened, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Second time, I'm like, what's going on? Third time, I'm thinking, all right, this team is weird. It's just – I don't know. Did you pick up on that, the, the clapping?
0: Yeah, I I thought Kyle Newbeck made a pretty interesting comparison where he compared them to the uh, Legion of Boom Seahawks who, like, committed pass interference on every play and kind of bet that the refs were only going to call a few of them
2: because they can't call it every play,
0: right? So maybe maybe that was the strategy there for Cleveland to see how often they can get away with it. That's
2: that's weird. I thought that was an interesting
0: interesting read on on the situation. But, yeah, yeah, they were camping out in the lane quite a
2: bit. Yeah. Look, Garland uh, was, was. It worked, impact. you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, really, it did work.
0: It worked out in their favor, I guess.
2: Look, Garland, I'm I'm so impressed by him, and I think it was the right move for them to uh, get rid of uh, Sexton because their styles, I don't know, they didn't really match well. Kind of the same players, except Garland has better vision, better passer. Uh, Mobley, the guy that I now regret trading you. You swindled me, and I hate you for it. But Evan Mobley's a player, man. I in the, I guess it was the beginning of the season you were singing his praises, and I didn't really see it because I didn't watch a lot of Cavs games last year, but he's a player. They, they lucked out with him. He's a sophomore, and he's doing, he's just adding more to his game. Uh, look, the Cavs, they capitalize on Sixers turnovers. Levert, is still a bucket. I still remember him heating things up when he was in Brooklyn. Uh Robin Lopez still resembles a monster from Hotel Transylvania. That dude is I don't know. He, I don't see how he's still in the NBA. <laughs> but Cleveland has a nice team. I think they're going to make at least the play-in and uh but I don't know if they have enough to really make a deep run. What would you think? Um
0: yeah, I I think they're more than a playing team uh,
2: really okay
0: yeah i mean tell me maybe, why <laughs> uh well i mean i think tonight was a pretty good example donovan mitchell i think is making a leap he's he's playing like
2: be careful be NBA careful chris basketball right now We um, don't have harden and Maxie. be careful
0: be careful I I understand, but Mitchell and and Garland, like you said, are, are studs. Both are making a leap of sorts. Garland is averaging career highs in points and assists. Despite Donovan being there, Donovan's averaging over thirty points per game. He's been pretty remarkable uh, defensively with Allen and Mobley in in that front court. They're gonna field a really high level defense all season. I'm I'm right with you on Mobley. Uh, awesome player, like. <laughs> pretty special guy. I had him number two on my board um, and a couple years ago when he was drafted. I, I'm doing redrafts right now for Fan Sighted and I like Cade a lot. I'm probably going to have Cade number one still, but I think there's a very strong case for Mobley, so I'm not sure how long I'm going to hold that with Cade number one. We'll see how he looks. 1A
2: and 1B. That's how you uh, have to do it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a pretty fair read on the situation. Like Mobley is is a very special defender and he's starting to figure things out offensively in a pretty exciting way so Cleveland has like four all-star level players that's generally going to put you in the mix in in any conference at any point I think Boston is kind of the runaway favorite right now and it may seem a little boring to because it's just it's just all Celtics right now they look kind of unbeatable in Milwaukee. I would say is probably the team that is closest to them. But once you get past those two, I think it's Philly and Cleveland right now are in that next tier. Um, in my view, at least like I, I think the Cavs are on that level personally. So I'm excited to see how the rest of their season plays out. Like you said, Sixers were not at full strength in this game, which can be easy to forget with how shake has played lately. But Still, I mean, they shot sixty percent from the field, fifty percent from three. We're much better than that for most of the night. Like it, it was a pretty dominant showing, no matter who's out there. And I th- I think Cleveland's the real deal.
2: Yeah, well, we'll see as the season progresses. Right n- right now, we're going to move on to the next topic. And a few nights ago, the Sixers took on the Atlanta Hawks in Philadelphia. The Sixers were victorious in that game. They won the game 104-101 to 101. first half. seemed like the Sixers could do no right. And then they turned it around in the second half. Joel Embiid pretty much rescued them uh, in the final minute, especially with a key defensive block um, in the paint. It was like an alley-oop that Trey was trying to get to Uh, John Collins. But some team stats, Sixers shot 45% from the field. Atlanta shot 50% from three-point land. The Sixers only shot 35% compared to Atlanta, 44%. I think the game was won in the paint. The Sixers had 52 uh, points in the paint compared to Atlanta, who had 42. And also, Chris, the Sixers took care of the basketball much better. They only had 12 turnovers that night while Atlanta turned the ball over 20 times. So in your opinion, Chris, uh, let's go to the Atlanta game. But let, let's focus on Joel, because it was his first game back in quite some time. Um, what were your thoughts about Joel's return? How did he look to you that night?
0: Um, pretty good, I'd say. Uh, 30 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, 50% from the field, 13 trips to the free throw line. Hit twelve of them. Not a lot of room for complaint. Uh, like you said, he he scored the team's last eight points. Like he he's done this a few times this year now, where he just basically takes over down the stretch and is Philly's entire offense in the end of the fourth quarter, and it goes quite well. Like he's really emerging as one of the elite closers, which what was not the case early in his career. Like that's a time and place in the game that he has improved immensely and he deserves a lot of credit for that for becoming the kind of player who the Sixers can just kind of hand the ball to and you know expect good things from so I mean he's always been that kind of player but the the turnovers are down and he's much more confident and patient in those late game situations I I think y'all know what I mean um yeah I, I mean pretty great stuff for your first game back from an injury obviously the Sixers are glad to have him back I'm sure Um, He he helps quite a bit on both sides of the ball. You mentioned the defensive play to ice the game late. Really good stuff from Joel.
2: You could tell he, he had a little rust. He had to shake off. He only took 18 shots. Shake took more shots than Embiid, and Harris also took 18. And with that rust comes being a little bit reluctant with the ball in certain situations. He had four turnovers that game. But he feasted from the line it seems like Atlanta they always send Embiid to the line dozens of times and uh he only missed one foul shot that night it was good to see him back it was good to know that you have that defensive anchor in in the uh you know in the in the rim area but you know Embiid handled business he was efficient 9 of 18 for field goals and like we talked about that block man that it's great to know that we have a player, Chris, wink, wink, who on offense and defense can really hold it down in the middle, uh, not taking any shots at anybody, <clears throat> Jokic. But, but yeah, Embiid, was, it was great to see him back.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not going to engage. Uh, so,
2: Please do. <laughs> no, don't, you know, don't, like, don't, I, don't. I mean, don't.
0: Um, I, I think part of this is, like, again – finding a rhythm again after the Sixers' recent success. Like we heard Joel say that he wants to keep the ball movement crisp like it's been with with guys out. The Sixers have been obviously playing pretty free and fluid basketball. So wait, he said that? He's
2: quoted saying, I want to keep the ball moving around. He said that?
0: Yeah. So seven assists. Yeah, it is. I agree. Seven assists in this game, six in the Cleveland game. Like you said, he was very deliberate sometimes to a fault looking to pass the ball. Like that's, again, it's probably going to take a a few games for them to find the right rhythm and for Joel to get back into the swing of things. But I think generally speaking, it's good for him to look to weaponize his, like obviously he just demands a whole lot of attention from the defense. And they're going to have multiple guys looking at him on almost every possession. So normally if guys are cutting and moving, the right spots, there's going to be someone who he can find with a good pass, so I think that's a pretty positive development, and as he gets back into the swing of things, maybe those turnover numbers dip a little bit, the assist numbers stay up, I I think that would be a good good development from Joel, and yeah, I, I mean, just awesome late in the game, which is, again, where he struggled early in his career and where he's really shining now.
2: Yeah, good points about Embiid, and let's go to the rest of the team for the Atlanta game. What did you take away from the other other players in that game?
0: Yeah, um, like you said, a, a pretty good Tobias game, 24 points on 18 shots, hit three threes, grabbed 10 boards, um, shake 21 points on 20 shots, seven assists, he continues. To play a lot of minutes, I, I, I mean, circling back to the Cleveland game briefly, I think you could maybe suppose that some of those struggles are just related to how many minutes these guys have been playing lately. Um, tired legs is is a factor in some of these games. It's a long regular season. It's going to happen. Um, so maybe the fact that they all got a break in the fourth quarter is a blessing in disguise. Um, but, yeah, 39 minutes for shaking this game, 21 points, 7 assists. Him, Joel, and Tobias were all pretty good. Um, Melton continues to struggle with his shot, only 2 of 8 from 3, 3 of 12 from the field. Again, I'm not terribly worried about it. In the long run, continues to provide pretty great defense. Obviously, he drew a pretty tough assignment in this game, guarding Trey and oh, Deshante. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, the bench, nothing super spectacular. George hit three triples for nine points, which is a positive and uh, beyond that, it was, it was a pretty quiet night for the bench all around. Paul made some nice plays, grabbed seven boards, but really, I think Shake and Joel and Tobias were the, were the big draws here.
2: Yeah, I always love it when Tobias has a solid game. When he gets a double double, that makes it even sweeter. And Shake Milton, I think he's arrived. I think the Shake that we have now, I I really believe. Obviously, I hope, but I really believe that this Shake Milton is here to stay, but it all depends upon Doc Rivers and his rotation moving forward when Harden and Maxey come back. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the only other thing I want to say is uh, T. Stiebel had a nice left-hand layup <laughs> in this game, and uh, look, I'm going to die on this hill. Um, I know people know I'm, I'm still bullish on Stiebel, even though he has limitations, uh, didn't have many steals and blocks in this game, but he only played eight minutes. Paul Reed uh, didn't score a ton of points at all. He did have seven rebounds, so that was good to see for him. And uh, Nelton, we talked about it earlier, a little bit cold from the perimeter of the past couple of games, but I'm I'm sure he'll snap out of it. But, but let's talk about Atlanta real quick before we get back to Maxie and Harden. The Hawks, they started off pretty hot. Uh, in the past ten games, they've gone four and six. We know that in the offseason, they lost, uh, I think, a couple of key players. But in your opinion, Chris, what, what's going on with the Hawks? What, what what pieces are they missing, and how come they're not really keeping up that momentum they had early?
0: Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm not terribly worried about Atlanta in the wrong in the long run. I, I think they'll be fine. You know, um, mm-hmm. like. Talking about the Sixers, they started the season one and four, I and mean, we were all like losing our heads. <laughs> now they're two games above 500, despite a bunch of injuries, and they have the best defense in the NBA. Like, there are going to be ebbs and flows during the season. Atlanta still tied with Philly in the standings, despite, despite their recent struggles. They're 12 and 10. They've been pretty darn good overall. Um,. I I believe pretty heavily in the trade Dejounte backcourt. I think it has gone pretty well, all things considered. I I think Dejounte should maybe uh, keep the antics to a minimum. Uh, hmm. He's made himself look bad a couple times lately, but
2: um, wait, what happened? I uh, I missed it. What did he do?
0: Oh, he was he just was like against Houston the game Atlanta. They, they blew a pretty big lead. He was like tapping guys' heads and celebrating hmm. threes before they go in and stuff like
2: that. And, really? and Rockets oh. won. So that dude is fiery. We He's... we all
0: saw the videos like from the summer. From the, Who, who is was he going day?
2: after? He was going after who? Paolo? I, I forget who it was. I think it was Moncara. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, uh. We never really saw that in San Antonio, which I guess is a Popovich thing. Um, uh, Maybe you should temper it a little bit. I'm all for guys having fun. Uh, but you got to back it up. And he hasn't always been backing it up lately. But in the end, DeJounte is very good. Trey is a very special player. Uh, efficiency-wise, this hasn't been Trey's best season so far. But I'm going to assume that comes around at some point. There's a pretty strong track record of success with him. Uh, John Collins went down with an injury tonight. We'll see how that plays out but mm. assuming they're healthy Clint Capella's been playing really good defense um, I, I think that team will be fine I don't think they're on I, I think they're kind of in like the third tier behind Philly and Cleveland in the East right now but they're a playoff team they're going to win plenty of regular season games so I 4-6 I, and six in their last 10 I, I don't know if there's anything quote-unquote wrong with the roster though I, I think once they're all healthy they'll be fine.
2: Okay. Good point with the ebbs and flows of an NBA season. I do think they miss Kevin Herter though. Have you seen what he's doing in Sacramento right now? Mm -hmm. KD was going off about Kevin Herter. When KD is saying your name in the press and you're on the other side of the country, that means you're doing something right. And, you know, look, DeAndre Hunter is a nice player, but shooting wise, he can't touch Herter, but but enough about yeah. Atlanta. Let's well, let get... Oh, go ahead.
0: I, I will say just one note on that. I, I yeah. agree. They probably should have paid Herder, but he was going to lose his starting spot to DeJounte. The mm-hmm. opportunity is just much bigger in Sacramento. And also, they just haven't... They haven't had Bogdanovich yet this season. He's been out. And once he gets back, that will maybe scratch that itch for like a sharpshooter who can create a little bit off the bench. So... They're not at full strength in that regard, and I think once Bogey gets back, maybe they miss her or a little bit less. But, right. yeah, you know, health is is paramount for every team, and Atlanta hasn't been fully healthy yet. So
2: Donovich, that guy. All right, let's go to the next topic.
0: All right, let's talk about the impending returns, Uriah, of James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. Uh, Maxie is, according to Kate Scott, on the broadcast, I believe, out of the boot today, which is a positive sign. In yes,
2: depth, I saw uh,
0: that. After recovery. Um, and we got some news from James Harden as well, according to ESPN. He is looking to return potentially in their upcoming game against Houston um, over the weekend. So we're going to get James back potentially in a couple games here, Uriah. We talked on the last episode about how complicated it may or may not be once those guys get back, given the success of Shake. How do they handle his role with how dominant he's been? How do they handle DeAnthony's role? We've seen a little bit, especially with the Cleveland game, of the growing pains of incorporating Joel back into that ecosystem. Now that we've seen how effective this Milton Milton backcourt is, do you think Doc is going to limit the minutes for Harden and Maxi the rest of the season? And do you think he should? Like, should he lean into the depth there in the backcourt?
1: If
2: if he's smart, he will. But we all know that Doc is going to do what Doc does. Uh, so if he if he, I don't know if his wisdom permeates throughout the locker room and and he listens to the people that can see what he can't see, then I hope he does. Uh, and, and for a couple of reasons, I have a stat here, Chris, from Sean Barnard, who writes for heavy.com, used to write for Philly Sports Network. Really good stuff uh, when I follow him on Twitter. He posted today that James Harden and Tyrese Maxey both rank in the top 14 in the NBA for minutes per game. Harden plays 36.8 minutes a game, Maxi 36.4, which blows my mind. Not for Maxie, because he's, what, 22, 23. Harden's 34 years old, and he's playing 36.8 minutes a game. Not I, And you, we, can, we can't speculate and say, oh, the reason why they got hurt is because they play all these minutes. But it surely doesn't help. So I, I would hope for some of the reasons you mentioned with Shake coming about with his game confidence obviously Melton is a nice addition in the backcourt off the bench I I hope that Doc limits their minutes because you're going to need Harden in the playoffs with fresher legs you're going to need Tyrese Maxey you know not burnt out running three four miles a game whatever crazy stat that he he does every NBA game that he plays in but but that's me I, I hope he does and I think it could reap the team could reap really great benefits if he does
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's pretty simple math. The more time someone is on the floor, the greater the opportunity for them to get hurt. It doesn't necessarily have to be an injury specifically related to the fact, like, to fatigue. But Maxi had played, I think, 20 of 24 minutes in the first half of that Milwaukee game before he got hurt. Yeah. If you're playing that often, it's just a greater chance that some freak accident's going to happen. Like, it's not even... So it's I agree it's an issue for both of them, especially for James who is coming up years of dealing with a lingering hamstring issue who works so hard or like like he's in his he's getting into his 30s now like why why are you playing him that often? there's no good reason for it when you have Tyrese and now that we know that Shake can do what he's doing now that we know that Milton can scale up and do some stuff that Joel can play make at the level he's playing you just don't need to do it like save him for the playoffs you might sacrifice a little bit of regular season success if you play James 33 minutes a night instead of 36 mm-hmm. which it seems like a small difference in the moment but it adds up over time and yeah so so once James and Tyrese eventually get back i i do think doc should be smarter with their minutes i think we should be building rest days into the schedule for James and Tyrese and Joel. I know you're not a huge fan of that, but, like, just strictly from a we-want-to-win-a-championship perspective, it's probably the smart thing to do. Um, and for Tobias, too. Tobias has had his own injury scare this season. He's playing a lot of minutes. Should probably give Tobias a bit of a breather every now and then, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you on that front. I, I think it's something that Doc needs to look to do. I, I hope the medical staff is in his ear advocating for it, especially, especially with James, just because of the very obvious age in prior injury history that factors into it. Like Tyrese, I understand he's a young 20-something with fresh legs and very little... Um, in terms of injuries in his past. But with James, it's just so obvious that you should be trying to build as much rest as you can into his schedule, and they weren't doing that. So hopefully that changes. Um, But looking at it now, Uriah, do you think Maxie and Harden, if they are as productive as they were before they went down, are both all-stars in the Eastern Conference this year? Do you think that is in the cards for them?
2: I have some stats. You ready for this? So I went on uh, our fantasy ESPN, um, you know, that you can look at the players on the list. And obviously you have to switch the toggle from, like, who's available to all players. And then I I categorized it by just guards. And I, I took the top two, four, six, eight, like top 11 guards in the Eastern Conference And I put their stats up. I'm going to read them out loud to you. And then I looked at the number of guards who made the NBA All-Star Game last season from the Eastern Conference. There's a total of seven. All right. So that cutoff number is seven. Now, Harden is obviously in the top seven. But let me throw some stats at you. is is in this list. But we'll look at the stats and then we can debate if he can make it. Uh, as an all star, so James Harden, based on fantasy points stats, Harden is averaging twenty two, ten, and seven. The second number is assists, so twenty two points, ten assists, seven rebounds. Trey Young is second, twenty seven, nine, and three. Tyrese Halliburton, man, he's balling in, in Indiana. I love his game. Did you see that pass he made against the Lakers? And the kid made that three. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was that was a great play. Um, If you get a chance, watch his uh, interview, what was going through his mind in those last seconds. Just pure point guard, man. Anyway, uh, D. Mitch, uh, fourth on this list. He's averaging 28, 5, and 4. DeJounte Murray is averaging 26 and 6. Jalen Brown, 26, 3, and 6. Darius Garland, 22, 8, and 2. So if just by fantasy numbers, assists, rebounds, and points – those seven players would probably make the team. So the next four are Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brunson, and Tyrese Maxey. Beal's numbers, 23-5-3. Kyrie, 24-4-4. Four, four. Brunson, 21-6-3. Maxey, 23-4-3. and, three. Maxie, 23, four, and three. Might seem like a long shot. But based on those numbers and the criteria to make it in as an Eastern all-star, we know Harden's in. Do you think Maxi has a shot?
0: Um, Yes, I do. I, I think the argument against James right now is that he's only played nine games. Like, he's going to have to play enough. That is a factor that we have to consider with both of them. Okay. But especially with James right now, he's lagging behind. Uh, I agree that on, on the surface, if – James is in, but he's only played nine games. So if the All-Star teams were voted on today, he probably doesn't make it in. Um, Plenty of time between now and February, obviously, to rack up more games played. But um, yeah, I I do think Maxie, who has played 15 games so far, it's the same number for Brad Beal. True holiday in Milwaukee missed some time. Like a lot of guys have missed some games. So I, I do think Maxie... Maxie's in the cards, for sure. 23 points, he's shooting 42% from three, 46, 7% from the field. Like, the efficiency is off the charts once again. Um, But like you said, pretty stiff competition. Like, I think Jalen Brown's a lock. Donovan and Garland from Cleveland are locked. I think Halliburton, especially with the fact that Indiana has a better record than Philly right now, is a lock. Um if they're still well over five hundred playing six hundred basketball by the All Star break, which I'm skeptical of, but if that's still the case, then Halliburton is is a lock. And even if they aren't, he's probably still a lock. So that's four guys right there. Trey is five. James is six if he can play enough games. Um, but I, I, I think Beal. I'd probably favor Beal right now. So it, it's a tough, it's a tough road. And it's going to depend a lot on team success. It's going to depend on how how healthy James and Tyrese are once they get back, how healthy the rest of the guys are, etc., etc. There's a long way to go between now and the All-Star break. But it's definitely in the cards. He's averaging 23, again, on supreme efficiency as the number three option on a winning team. Like That's pretty impressive stuff. His scoring numbers are right on par with all those guys, despite him being the third option. Like, Max, he's legit, and he is definitely in the conversation. I, I don't know if I would bet my life savings on it right now. <laughs> but um, I, I'd feel a lot better about both of them if they weren't hurt right now. I think that's really what's hanging me up. Yeah. But... We'll we'll have to wait and see because of that. See how how the games played shake out, but I, I do think both of them have a pretty solid chance at least.
2: Yeah, Halliburton, when you lead the league in assists, you are pretty much a lock. You, he has to make the All Star game, and like you said, the Indiana surprisingly is better record than the Sixers. Maybe because Jalen Brown, maybe he gets in as a forward that might open a spot. <coughs> for Tyrese Maxey. Look, Brunson is doing a good job with the Knicks, but I think Maxey's having a better season overall. Maxey's getting a lot of national attention. Like You hear people talking about him, whether it's Jalen. Jalen, oh my goodness, so many Jalens going on around these days. I was about to say Jalen Hurts. Um, But Jalen Rose is high on Maxey. You listen to um, Chris Vernon. On their podcast with Kevin O'Connor. They love Maxi. Look, Maxi is, is, he's an electrifying player, not just an efficient shooter, but he can finish with the best of them. And he's only 6'2, 6'3. So, and look, Kyrie's missed a lot of games himself. He's not having the most efficient year. Yeah, Kyrie's, out in out. Brooklyn. Kyrie, Kyrie's not good enough. Yeah, Kyrie, year. yeah. So, uh, really, only Beal is like standing between Maxie and making that last slot. So I you know, both you and I hope hope he gets there, but I'd say if I gave a percentage Maxie becoming an All-Star this year, I'd give it like 35%. That's what I would give it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I I yeah, I it's tough because Seems like James is going to return at least a few games before him. So the games played between those two is going to even out. I, I think just by nature of this team, James is going to be the first Philly guard who gets voted in. Um, assuming he returns close to form from this injury. Uh, being the third guy on, on a team is, makes it pretty tough. Uh, not a lot of number three guys make the all-star team Cleveland was somewhat unique in having three last year not a lot of teams can pull that off uh, so you're right I, I think it's probably a sub 50% chance at this point but I mean if we were voting right now I think the case you can make a case for Maxi overharden because of games played so it, it it'll be interesting to see how things play out Um. But like you said, I I think Beal is long to watch. I think that's going to be the race for sure. Uh, It'll be interesting. Interesting to see.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, ugly loss, but good conversation with you as always. And on Sunday, we should be getting Lucas back. And then Friday, big Memphis game. I can't wait to talk to you guys about that. But I think it's time to head on now, Chris.
0: Yeah. All right, to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to yet another week's episode of the or Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow along if you can. We are on YouTube, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all that fun stuff. You can also listen at our website, thesixersense.com, and you can follow along on Twitter and Facebook at or Cents. So, till next week, everyone, peace out. Go Sixers, go birds.
2: Take it easy, everybody.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it